0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: To research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, please sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. If you have been holding on, I want to thank you so very much for doing that tonight. And Chatters, thank you for just hanging in there with me. Well, let's Start off by just welcoming Shannon Christmas to the show. You all will know that Shannon Christmas did conduct the part one of communicating with your DNA relatives, and now we have him back. Shannon, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, thank you, Bernice. Thank you ever so much.
1: And I want to just thank you for hanging in there with some of our little technical issues tonight. I'm not sure what's going on, but, hey, you're on, and I'm happy. And so let's get started. Okay, So, Shannon, just begin with the beginning, and that's corresponding with the focus. What do we want to say to people about corresponding with the focus when connecting with their DNA relatives? In
2: my experience, communicating with DNA relatives can be quite challenging in the very beginning because, if you're working with, say, for instance, autosomal DNA, then there are a very uh, very large number initially, a very large number of uh, ancestors that could potentially be uh, what connects you to uh, your DNA relative. So what happens is people tend to go off on tangents uh, and the communication tends to become less productive over time. Mm -hmm. One thing you can do to avoid syndrome, if you will, is to inform the match of anything you have already determined about how you are related. For instance, if you see that you and a particular DNA match share a piece of DNA that's also shared with some of your other known DNA relatives, or with a parent, then you could already narrow down the list of suspects in terms of the uh, common ancestor. So that's one way to keep the correspondence focused. Another thing that you should do is also ask for any information that you need to help clarify the relationship. And in most cases, that information should come in the form of a family tree from your match as well as the actual genetic information that you share whether it's the location of a dna segment uh and accessing that information requires you to uh share genomes for instance on a particular site or upload your raw data to another site those things of those types of things really matter when it comes to keeping the conversation focused on finding out how you're related and understanding Shannon, how. Shannon,
1: I have a question for you because okay. you said, you know, uploading your your tree or sharing mm-hmm. your tree and uh, sharing your genetic information. And so mm-hmm. explain to people exactly what you're talking about when it's sharing your genetic information. Certainly. Well, in the case of
2: autosomal DNA, you're not actually sharing your genetic information. You are simply comparing it. Uh, so each of the autosomal DNA platforms, with the exception of ancestry DNA, I provide the customers with an opportunity to compare one's genetic data with their genetic relatives' genetic data so they can see what it is they have in common. So those are DNA segments that they have in common. Those Mm -hmm. DNA segments came from a common ancestor. Without that information, you cannot even begin, in most cases, unless it's an extremely close relative, you cannot even begin to identify or determine how you are related. hmm So this means that you enable your match to compare data with you on, say, 23andMe. Or if you upload your raw DNA data to match, you ensure that it is set up such that the person can see you on their match list. Uh, and click a button and see exactly what it is that you share and where it is on the various autosomes.
1: Right. Now, one of the things that I've noticed since you mentioned GEDmatch and you said so that people can see you is that people should perhaps use the same names that they're using when they've tested because if you're using the name Roadrunner, <laughs> but on Jedmatch you put Speedy Gonzales or something else, how will someone know that this is the same person?
2: Exactly. Exactly, Bernice. It's crucial. As I mentioned in Part 1 of this episode arc, it's crucial that you have the same name or nickname at each of the sites so that people can begin to piece together who you are and know that when they are comparing you on one site, you're the same person at the other site. And that's becoming more of an issue now because so many more people are testing, which means you have many more matches and you are bound to get matches that are different people but
1: have the same name. Right, right. Would it also be helpful for people, if they have transferred their data to GEDmatch, to give people their kit numbers that they've received from GEDmatch?
2: Absolutely. Once you've uploaded your data to GEDmatch, you should definitely give your match your kit's number along with whatever name you have attached to that tip number. On
1: okay. Jetpack. Okay. Now what about people that simply don't have complete trees? Uh they they have information just to the extent that they know um their kind of ancestral trail but they haven't gone far enough so that when you're trying to compare, you're just not seeing the connection. What do you recommend that they do? Well, for the person who has a
2: smaller tree, my best recommendation is to seek out additional resources to expand your family tree. If you are the person who is receiving such a tree from a match, then what I have always recommended is that you extend your match's tree as best as you possibly can. That means
0: Mm
2: -hmm. looking at the tree, finding the most distant ancestors in the trees and using whatever resources you have available to attempt to identify who their ancestors are.
0: Hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, I've uh, followed that simple rule myself and it's led me to great places more times than I can count
1: oh wonderful wonderful so as you began and you talked about co- corresponding with the focus you want to first communicate with the people that you match with
2: yes that's absolutely crucial if you want to make sense of your DNA results. This is a process that requires uh communication, dedication, and also an inquisitive mind.
1: Okay. Okay, now Shannon, when when you're when you're communicating, does it make sense to simply ask a person why did they test?
2: Yes, it does make sense to ask a person why they tested uh, because that provides the opportunity to find common ground
0: uh,
2: with the match such that it's a reciprocal relationship and that everybody's getting something that they want. Once you've identified what it is that your match is looking to get out of this, maybe you can help them. Yet, what it is that they want, even if it is something that perhaps seems completely different from what you are speaking, it should be a give and take type of conversation
1: mhm mhm okay and and what else when you when you talk about correspond with focus should people even think about certainly, you should make sure that. The
2: content of each of your messages addresses the question at hand about your genealogical relationship and at the same time provides some context for your match uh for whatever it is whatever it is that they are seeking to ascertain uh, from their test results so that's the most important thing. I can think of in terms of maintaining a focus uh, with your correspondent.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you also want to to explain very simply how to compile and transmit the requested information, because one thing that many people are beginning to understand is that many people who are new to genetic genealogy or testing with ancestry DNA, where there's very little introduction
0: to uh,
2: the science underlying the results.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: There's next to no conversation there about chromosome mapping or segment triangulation or even maps. So when you first encounter a DNA relative who is new to genetic genealogy and who is new to, say, ancestry DNA, then you have to be ready to explain what is happening in very simple terms so that they can understand, grasp the information,
1: and be able to hit the ground running. So when you say simple terms, I mean, you're, are you saying keep the science out of it? Don't mention centromeres and segments and and chromosome mapping. I mean, just what do you what do you recommend be said? Mm-hmm.
2: I do not recommend avoiding the science. Okay, I recommend oh, avoiding the science, the science terminology. Mm hmm. I would say you want to embrace the scientific terminology and just explain it as is. Uh, Otherwise, you just make that learning curve a lot steeper for your Mm -hmm. match. You just uh, put off the inevitable, and that's not something I would recommend at all.
1: Okay, okay. All right. So let's uh let's continue with with this discussion. So uh Sh- Shannon what about just the technical lo- logical changes that uh we have observed with DNA over the let's say the last month? What <laughs> <laughs> what are the implications for the new people getting involved in genealogy and for the existing people?
2: Certainly. There have been a great number of changes, uh, as you said, within the past month on a number of the DNA testing sites to include 23andMe, especially, uh, but also with GEDMATCH and even with Ancestry DNA. 23andMe, as you already know, is developing a brand new uh, user experience. And
0: uh, we are
2: undergoing a bit of a transition with that. Uh, The countries of ancestry feature is no longer available. Uh, And 23andMe's new site uh, does not have downloads available, and neither does uh, the current site. So at this point, it's very important that those who have been transitioned to the new site focus on opting into uh, one of the great improvements with the new site, and that is the open sharing feature. That is a setting where uh, one can basically share their genetic uh, data with all of their uh, DNA relatives matches who have also opted into open sharing. So they won't have to uh, send invitations to compare genomes at all. You would just have to uh, click a checkbox, and all of your other matches who have done the same thing will automatically be able to compare you to them. Uh, that is crucial for anyone on the new 23andMe site who plans on utilizing DNA relatives or genetic genealogy. Uh, 23andMe also has a group messaging feature, uh, which can be very useful for collaborating with groups of DNA matches who all match each other on the same DNA segment. Or what we call a triangulated group So triangulated groups Are groups of individuals Who have all inherited A single piece of DNA From A specific ancestor Uh, Now whether The individuals in that triangulated group Know who That common ancestor is Who passed along That DNA segment Is another matter but the group messaging feature provides an opportunity for everyone within a particular triangulated group to collaborate and begin doing the research together.
1: Which seems like something that's very powerful if all of the people are showing as having a DNA segment of something that's uh, the same. At least they can yeah. begin that dialogue to find that common ancestor.
2: Absolutely. Uh, and being able to do so as a group as opposed to having to send a single message to each individual person in the group is a great improvement. Uh, and JetMatch, Match, like 23 me is also... I uh, made some interesting changes. Uh, particularly, they have decided that if you wish to uh, fully participate in the DNA matching uh, utilities on the site, then you need to have a public email address. Uh, so that means that if you are on GEDMATCH and you are inviting matches to upload their data to GEDMATCH, then you need to reinforce the importance of their having a public email address. Otherwise, their uploading to GEDmatch will not be of any real help to you. Uh, Ancestry DNA, likewise, has made some interesting changes uh, for the better.
0: Uh,
2: they have, one, decided to communicate to uh, their customers exactly how much DNA, total amount of DNA, uh, you share with each of their matches. And that's really great because that gives you somewhat of a frame of reference for how closely you are related. In addition to that, uh, Ancestry DNA is also uh, providing an opportunity to uh, Create a list of shared matches, or rather, they've created a list of shared matches. So, if you click on uh, a profile for one of your uh, DNA matches on Ancestry DNA, then you will also have the opportunity to see a list of common matches who are at least at fourth cousin level uh, with you and. Your match. So that provides an opportunity to get another window into how you might be related. For instance, if you see that you and a particular match are all matching uh, DNA relatives who you've already determined are on a specific uh, family line of yours then you can communicate that to the match and pique their interest into doing additional work to find out how you are connected. With the total amount of DNA shared, I recommend uh, including that information in your correspondence with the match to further motivate them to upload their raw DNA data to JetMatch so that you can see not only the total amount of DNA shared, but where that DNA, that shared DNA is located, which, as we know, is very informative for determining how you and your match are related.
1: Right, but I want to go back to what you have just indicated as a change with ancestry. So you're saying, of course, that Ancestry will now show you it's not just saying extremely high, but you can also find out how much makes it extremely high. So when you communicate with your your DNA cousin, are you now saying in your introduction, we are extremely high and we share this much DNA? with each other as a way to uh, encourage them to communicate with you? I mean, just explain that a little bit more.
2: Absolutely. Uh, You can begin to uh, generate some curiosity from your match about the science underlying their DNA results Mm
0: -hmm. uh,
2: by letting them know that hey, we share this amount of DNA, wouldn't it be interesting to actually be able to visualize uh, the DNA that we share? You actually have the opportunity to see who else out there is matching on the DNA segments that we share, and why are they sharing that DNA with us?
0: Mm-hmm. Who is the common mm-hmm. ancestor?
2: Those are the types of questions, the types of inquiry. Uh, that we should encourage from all of our matches across the various test platforms. But I think it can be a bit more challenging to Ancestry DNA when there's not a lot of discussion there uh, from the company about that type of information.
1: Okay, okay.
2: So just use these uh, new data points as an opportunity to open
1: that discussion right okay okay and so so now that you have opened that dialogue uh, you've said to the people okay we we we're extremely high we share this much dna which means that this is very significant we let's let's take it to the next level let's really start sharing with each other then where do you go so you you're doing you're saying tell them a little of the science, okay? So you're explaining some of the science, and what I'm even discovering is that people are saying, "Well, I'm so new to this, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing now." Uh, so how in depth do you go into explaining to them what what the DNA is all about?
2: I recommend keeping a catalog of resources available for individuals who are new to genetic genealogy. And be ready to share those resources with your match.
1: Okay. Be
2: ready to, say, for instance, give them a link to a YouTube video that shows you step-by-step step how to upload your raw DNA data file to GEDmatch. Uh Be prepared to provide links to blog articles that describe in uh, very vivid detail what autosomal DNA genealogy actually means what the process is
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: and be ready to answer any questions that may come out of your match reading those materials or viewing those videos
1: why right, why right. That's a good recommendation, uh, just to have that kind of listing of resources that you could pass on to your DNA cousins if they express that they're not quite on top of understanding uh, what this whole DNA testing is all about.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So, uh, where else do we go with uh just staying abreast of the technological changes?
2: Well, keep your eyes open. <laughs> is what I will say uh make sure that you are visiting the various uh d n a test company sites on a regular basis. I know that some individuals have indicated that. They tend to focus on one site and will only visit another site uh, every now and then. Uh, Mm -hmm. But these changes happen almost overnight with no notice. Mm
0: -hmm. And in some
2: cases, the changes occur uh, erroneously (laughs) in the sense that (laughs) For instance, there might be some sort of breakdown with DNA relatives at 23andMe or uh, DNA's Family Finder, and they might have to make some significant change overnight in order to uh, fix a bug in their Mm -hmm. system. Uh, If you're not uh, logging into the various sites on a regular basis, then you might come back months or, in some cases, years later, and find that you don't necessarily know how to operate the site anymore, Mm
0: -hmm. or at least not in
2: the way that you had envisioned it the last time you visited. Mm
0: -hmm. So
2: that's probably the best way to uh, stay abreast of changes. In addition to that, you want to follow the various blogs out there that communicate the upcoming changes on a regular basis.
1: Right. And then how do you recommend people find the various blogs? Well,
2: as is the case with many things in genealogy, Google is your friend.
1: (laughs) Okay. Okay. So you're recommending that they just Google genetic genealogy blogs and then all of the blogs will pop up or do you have any specific blogs that you would recommend that they follow? And, of course, I know you have a blog through the tree. Uh, yes,
2: uh, yes. there's my blog. There's also
0: uh,
2: DNA Explained with Roberta Estes, mm-hmm. uh, Your Genetic Genealogist with CeCe Moore and The Genetic Genealogist with Blaine Bettinger. Uh, Mm -hmm. Those are the ones I would recommend off the top of my head as places to go and uh, get new information all the time. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, You may
2: also want to check into social media. Uh, Facebook has a number of genetic genealogy groups which you can actually search for. There's probably more than I can count now, uh, and even find some that uh, focus on specific uh, nationalities, uh, specific regions of the United States, et cetera. Uh, Twitter also has uh, a number of genetic genealogists who uh, anyone can follow. Uh, Also Google Plus uh, has a number of genetic genealogy groups there's a wealth of information out there, and it's growing all the time. You just have to make sure you are always tapped in
1: mhm, always tapped in and and it looks like it's just a continuous uh process of learning because genetic genealogy is just evolving. Every day it's changing, and so you—you, you, as just said, you have to stay on top of what's going on. Uh, you can't visit a site and then twelve months later go back and think it's the same site; <laughs> it may have totally changed. Absolutely. What? What? Shannon, we're going to take just a real quick break and come right back so that you can continue to share with us DNA and communication and just connecting with your relatives. So just a quick break, and we'll be right back, okay? All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. Now, you have been listening to Shannon Christmas share with us various strategies to enhance communications with your DNA relatives. I also want everyone to know that I have opened the phone lines, and if you have a specific question or you would like to make a comment, please feel free to call 646-200-0491 and press 1 to speak to the host. Shannon, let's continue this discussion. Now, what about privacy? You know, you have so many people, and they are just so concerned about privacy. So tell us, what do we need to know about this when we're talking about genetic genealogy?
2: Well, Bernice, we could have a whole show about uh, genetic genealogy and uh, privacy. And I think that... uh, That probably should happen at some point, but I will just uh, try to keep things brief and say that with genetic genealogy, uh, the focus is on comparing information. Uh, But it seems that people at times forget what information needs to be made available and what doesn't need mm-hmm. to be made available in order to uh, meet your genetic genealogy goals uh, for instance on twenty three and me uh, where they actually have uh, genetic health reports, there's a great deal of discussion about those health reports, uh, and also some confusion about what those health reports mean for genetic genealogy.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Once again, that could be its own conversation, but I will just say that when you are communicating with your matches, you should not start with requesting access to uh, genetic health reports. One, because that is something that is quite intimate
0: uh,
2: and quite personal. And that would probably give another individual uh, quite a bit of uh, concern about what it is you are attempting to address. And some people, I notice, have requested health reports without articulating a reason why. So if you at any point plan to request access to your match's health reports, then you should communicate exactly why you are doing so and have an in-depth discussion with the match about health, or at least ask to have that conversation before moving to a request for uh, sharing of health reports. Right, And I think that's right. going to be become more of an issue now because 23 uh, Me has just been given approval to uh, give health reports again. As you know, the FDA uh, sort of created some problems on that issue, but 23 Me is now approved to give health reports, and that means that a lot more people, a lot of people who have Entered the database after the FDA intervened are now going to have health reports. Uh, so that's just something to consider when it comes down to uh, genetic genealogy and using the tools available, but also respecting one's right to privacy.
1: Right, uh, and it also ties in with your uh, initial uh, uh, correspondence you said by finding out why did people test in the first place they may be yeah. right up front and state they tested for health reasons as opposed to uh, genealogy and so once you understand clearly the reason they tested then you can also articulate why you test it, and it may not be health. You may then determine whether you want to continue communicating with each other.
2: Exactly. It's important to uh, reach some common ground when you begin corresponding, and it's also important to recognize uh, the mm. limit uh, or the limits of their correspondence in terms of what each person feels comfortable communicating to the other. Right. Uh, and health reports yeah, is a prime example. So,
1: well, there's a uh, question coming out of the chat room, and the question is, for the health reports, is it based on the questionnaire for health questions, or is it 23andMe? me? twenty three and me
2: looks at one's DNA and generates health reports based on whether an individual has certain gene variants associated with
1: specific conditions.
2: That's all a health report is.
1: Right, right. Okay, because the person stated that they purchased the test not for the health, but they purchased it for the genealogy part of it. And so there's a question, can they opt out of the health portion or is that automatic with the company?
2: Each 23andMe customer has the option to opt out of receiving health reports. And okay. if you wish to opt out of uh, viewing health reports, you are free to do so at any time.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, any anything else we need to understand or take into consideration when we're looking at the whole issue of privacy?
2: This is an issue that also extends to uh, family trees and photographs. Uh, when you create and exchange an online family tree, you need to ensure that you maintain the privacy of any living relatives
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, who may not want their names out there. Uh, they are are individuals in every family that just don't want to be found uh by long lost relatives uh, so mm-hmm. you want to ensure that you are not facilitating that uh beyond what is reasonable because I suppose that's the other issue here is that no one is completely anonymous anywhere uh, there was someone who for instance, was very disturbed that a DNA relative called them on the telephone. And I I had had to ask, why? Why are you disturbed by that? Let's see, you gave them your real name and where you live and even put up a photograph, and you have a listed telephone number. So there's no real expectation of privacy there. I don't consider Mm -hmm. that a breach. At that point, anyone can contact you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that goes back to realistic expectations about privacy. You are not just some anonymous data point in any of the databases. Uh, You exist, and since you exist, there's going to be some way of identifying you Uh, And you just have to be ready to accept that But at the same time you have to recognize that perhaps Your living relatives who are listed in your family tree May not want the path to discovery uh, To be so easily found
1: Right, right, also, you may have some living relatives that want you to leave off certain lines of the tree. just don't put it up, <laughs> although if those in in genealogy may be able to reconstruct that tree, uh yes. some people just don't want it up there. you know you leave that line off. you can put all the lines on, but don't put that one on. But what about
2: the photographs also? Yes, you should request consent from any living relatives to share their photographs, uh, Mm -hmm. just as a courtesy. Uh, In a world where we have Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, most people, or at least a good number of them, already have their photograph somewhere on the Internet, Uh, available for everyone to see but as I said as a courtesy you want to uh, ensure that you have communicated with any living relatives about whether you can or cannot share their photographs
1: yes okay okay now what about some of those photographs that you find in public trees some of those photographs can be uh, can be downloaded, or you can save those photographs to your own tree. Are you violating anybody's uh, privacy by doing that? Hmm. Well,
2: in a sense, one could say so. Uh, I am not an attorney, so I can't provide. A, uh, <laughs> legal opinion on the matter, but most of the Family Trees programs that are out there provide you with a method of hiding the photographs of living relatives, and you should just utilize that.
0: Mm -hmm. Usually Mm -hmm. it's fairly
2: simple. You just click one button, and it's
1: done. Right, right, right. Now we have a comment uh, coming out of the chat and it it relates to the tree and the the response is that one of the reasons her tree is private is because she does not want people to grab her information or to grab her pictures. Uh, What's your general reaction to that, especially when you're talking about matching someone?
2: Certainly. I have heard that explanation many times my recommendation is to always have at the very least a pedigree chart that is ancestors only so it's just you your parents your grandparents -grandparents, great-grandparents great-great-grandparents and so on with names dates and locations Mm uh if you feel that you need to leave photographs out you can do that. You, can, As I mentioned earlier there is a setting where you can just leave the photographs out entirely. But when you're doing genetic genealogy having a private tree really does make things more complicated than I would recommend they be. And that you will constantly have to uh, deal with requests to see your tree. Uh, and that just makes the process less efficient. And I mm-hmm. uh, have no patience for uh, anything other than optimal efficiency. So my recommendation is to have a public ancestors-only pedigree chart available to your matches. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: But what about those people? And I and I have to say, I I have a lot of matches, and um, I I see a lot of matches without a tree. What has you found uh, to be the experience of others where they find people with no trees? Do they still continue to communicate, or what happens with that?
2: I have. Seen both sides of that equation uh, where someone doesn't have a tree, but for whatever reason, uh, the individual uh, match does in fact communicate and uh, they're able to find a connection. And if mm-hmm. there's no tree simply because the individual is adopted or doesn't feel that the amount of information that they know about their ancestors warrants uh, constructing a family tree online.
0: Mm -hmm, Uh, mm
2: -hmm. But I've also seen the other side of it where uh, people have just decided that anyone who doesn't have a tree is not worth communicating with at all. Uh, So I think that you have to weigh the pros and cons of not having a tree attached.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: If you are an adoptee, maybe you do just put up uh, a, a one- or two-person tree, which has uh, what little information you've been able to glean from what is available to you. hmm uh, And maybe if you think that the amount of information you have about your ancestry is so little that it doesn't warrant building a tree, you build a tree anyway and begin the process of discovery. I think everyone should try to take whatever
1: information they have and make it available to their matches. Okay. But then, Shannon you run into this uh, situation where you have people that will look at your tree and say, I'm not familiar with any of those people, or none of my people were from that place. And so what do you say to those people?
2: I say to them, because you cannot immediately find a common ancestor with your match, that does not negate the DNA match. Mm
0: -hmm. You
2: share DNA because you share a common ancestor. And all the time we find that there's no immediate uh, discovery of a common ancestor when looking at a tree because either the tree is too Small. The person hasn't researched far back enough
0: mm-hmm. to
2: accommodate the identification of a common ancestor. Or there is some ring in one or both of the family trees and that there is a non-paternal event or what we call not the parent expected. Uh, that has happened on many occasions.
1: Yes. So
0: you have
2: to be ready to, one, expect the unexpected and to be able to dig a bit deeper than just what's on uh, the immediate surface of a family tree.
1: Right, right. Well, you know, it's interesting that you would say expect the unexpected because I really wonder how many people go into – uh, this test expecting the unexpected, because <laughs> you get a lot of surprises, you a, a whole lot of surprises. And uh, is the old saying DNA does not lie? How true is that?
2: <laughs> I would have to agree that DNA does not lie. Uh, and I would have to say that Many more people who are testing need to expect the unexpected.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, you never know everything before you take a DNA test.
1: Right. Everyone
2: mm-hmm. finds a surprise of some kind. And while it may not be a surprise within, say, the past one or two generations, if you go further back, you will find something that you did not otherwise know. That's the whole point of taking a DNA test. And if you want to just hold on to whatever mythology or legends uh, (laughs) that have been passed down over the years, then taking a DNA test probably is not beneficial for you. Because you are going to find out
1: Something that you did not already know. Yes. Uh, yes. And, it, you know, when you even talk about uh, genealogy, especially the, the people long before DNA testing, everybody was really into the paper trail. I mean, I'm a paper trail person. Uh, but when we start talking about gen- genealogical proof, what happens when that DNA comes in now? Tell us more about that.
2: Certainly. I recommend looking at each match as an opportunity to build genealogical proof. Mm -hmm. Because just as we look at DNA testing as something where one has to expect the unexpected, it also provides the opportunity to confirm what is already known. For instance, if Mm -hmm. you are able to... Uh, for instance, with Y-DNA, confirm a particular paternal line by getting lots of matches who all descend from various sons of a known family patriarch, then you have an opportunity there to confirm what you already knew Mm -hmm. about that particular family line. Same with autosomal DNA. You have the opportunity to uh, use the segment triangulation and chromosome mapping process that I've discussed elsewhere to work with your matches to identify DNA segments that you inherited from specific known ancestors. So you want to, in these processes... Inform your match of any resources that you've used to research your connection and provide them with the ability to access those resources. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you're going through the process of corresponding with them and developing uh, an hypothesis uh, about your genealogical connection.
0: And Mm -hmm. you also want
2: to learn, use, and communicate in simple terms the genetic concepts that you used for making this connection, for forming the hypothesis, and finding that proof. Mm
0: -hmm. So in
2: in easier terms, you want to communicate uh, your analytic method for whatever Mm -hmm. DNA uh, and corresponding paper trail research that you're doing. Why? You also want to be able to uh, research and communicate the historical context of your common ancestry. So you want to be able to say what was going on in that particular part of the world at a given time uh, that your common ancestors uh, were living, because that's what this is really all about, when you're going through this process, is to get a better sense of the lives that your ancestors lived.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And really, I mean, it 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 just sounds like it is such a a, a richer experience that you and your your newly discovered cousin are going through as far as that. Connecting the dots and sharing the resources and telling the stories because now you, you're you dealing with a common ancestor that perhaps you did not know. But when you have those exactly. resources to back up even the genealogical, I mean, excuse me, the genetic data, it just makes for such a rich experience.
2: Absolutely. I completely agree. And speaking of finding out about ancestors whom you otherwise wouldn't have known about, you notice that in many cases, and you touched on this earlier, about how people have trees that at first glance don't appear to intersect at all. Yes. Uh, And in many cases, that's because, as I mentioned earlier, they haven't researched far back enough, or uh, there was some uh, wrinkle in the family tree, there was some sort of non-paternal event. Going through the process of conducting cluster genealogy, researching all of the various families within a specific place at a given time,
0: mm-hmm.
2: allows you the opportunity to cast a wider net uh, for common ancestors. Ancestors that you may not have known about. Um, it also gives you the opportunity to sort of expand your vocabulary of of the history as well as the community that existed at that specific time in history.
1: That's right. And I'm I'm glad you brought up just the whole issue of cluster genealogy because I have even seen in some of my own DNA matches, I've looked at them, I haven't seen the connection, and then I went through the whole community, and then I could see my ancestors living maybe three houses from the person that matched me. And it just starts making so much sense, you know, to at least have uh, this, this context of which to do the search. And when you look at it from a cluster perspective, you don't just keep that that bullet straight on that one person, but you start looking up and down the neighborhood, you know, in the community, you start seeing the relationships, you start seeing it fall into place.
2: Exactly, Bernice, exactly. Uh, I tend to call this... uh, cluster genealogy, a process of expanding your vocabulary and learning more about your lingua familia. Uh, When you and, say, another person, not necessarily a DNA match, but just someone who happens to be researching a family in the same place get-together, you notice that when you communicate with them, it's like you're speaking your own little language
0: that ah, automatically okay.
2: something clicks.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: there's a familiarity there because you're researching the same place and essentially the same people.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think that when we research, we often do it alone. And we get a sense of these communities, of these people. Uh, sort of in a vacuum, and when we get the opportunity to speak with somebody else about it, who knows what we know, then you just have this wonderful conversation. And what happens is we get a a sort of tunnel vision, uh, if you will, where when we look at someone, say a DNA matches tree, and you don't see all those same certain names and same locations uh, that you've been seeing everywhere else and done all of this research about, you become a bit confused.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And you have to recognize that what you're seeing and that matches tree, while it's different, it has some connection to your tree.
1: Yes, yes.
2: And you have to go through a process of learning your matches, lingua familia, Uh in order to expand your own vocabulary about your own family because somewhere in there is someone who is related to you as well. And you have to go through this process to begin to understand the story behind how you are connected to this person, yet you have what appear to be, at first glance, very different pedigree charts.
1: Right, right. I mean, you could see the migration story. You could see the people, you know, those people in Arkansas and Louisiana, and you're wondering, you're from Virginia. How did your people get to Louisiana and Arkansas? How did your South Carolina people get to Texas? And it, it starts uh, opening up the, the dialogue, if you will, to really study the patterns of movement that took place and when they took place. Exactly.
2: I think we've all seen cases, just as you described, where you have a family that's in New England uh, and they've got DNA matches in the deep south, or say someone in Virginia, like you mentioned, or uh, is matching a good cluster of people in Texas or Arkansas, that is where the real magic happens in many cases. Where mm. you are able to not only expand your family tree, but expand your matches. Understanding of where their
1: family came from,
0: mhm mm-hmm. uh, a... up...
1: okay. yes, before they ended up where they are that's right it yeah. It does help you to develop that that understanding now we have a question or a comment coming out of the chat. And and this comment is that one of the, one of the challenges is that finding family on her maternal line the majority of the elder members are gone to provide information on the missing pieces and because of that DNA on that line is moving extremely slow for her.
2: Yes, that is a very common phenomenon as well.
0: Mhm. Mhm.
2: That is when you have to go back to the paper trail genealogy. Start mm-hmm. getting back into the search for birth records, marriage records, death records. Uh, getting back into the courthouses and seeing what's in the documentary records about your ancestors based on whatever information you've already compiled and logically working it back to other pieces of uh, paper trail that can fill in some of the gaps.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. So we're getting close to the end, but let's just kind of start off or at least Give the group what you would consider your uh, your parting words to them as to how to enhance DNA communications, how to make it work for them now that they've tested their DNA. Just where where do you want to leave this conversation tonight?
2: Well, I think that there are some common sense things that people often overlook in this process. Um, Mm -hmm. And that goes back to being cordial, uh, being empathetic, and recognizing that uh, this is a reciprocal relationship. You should uh, be willing to give as much as you take. uh, So that means building goodwill and a collaborative spirit uh, with all of your matches. That means, for instance, offering to help them upload files, uh, help them with analysis, uh, providing them with uh, photos or documents about common ancestors uh, that might pique their interest or open up new avenues for research for them. hmm just be willing to give as much as you plan on receiving mhm
1: uh-huh, mhm uh-huh. and and that's and that I think that's that's really good advice uh some people are more open to helping other people, and uh some people are just the takers and not the givers, so you're <laughs> saying make it a <laughs> make it a reciprocal relationship.
0: Yes. To enhance that communication.
2: Right. The most important thing uh, that you can do, or the most important two things that you can do, is one, ensure that there is a reciprocal sharing of uh, family tree data. You should have an online family tree that is available to your matches, and they Mm -hmm. should. Do the same Any kind. You should also ensure that genetic data is accessible, that your matches are able to compare and identify uh, the genetic data or the genetic uh, DNA segments uh, that you have in common and be able to utilize that to learn more about how you are related. Uh, Mm -hmm. Those are the two most important things uh, on top of everything else.
1: On top of everything else. On top of staying abreast, staying on top of the changes that are taking place at the various testing companies. And uh, as as you mentioned before, checking out the various blogs, uh, because the genetic genealogists are blogging about the changes and also reviewing the sites. Don't go six to nine months without looking at the site where you, you tested it because those changes may be there and you are not aware of it. So there's just so much. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, yes, and to uh, piggyback off of, uh, the issue of visiting the sites on a regular basis—you never know when a very valuable match might show up, and they might visit for that small window of time that they uh, after they first get their results. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And so, if you don't catch them then, then you may not catch them at all.
1: Right. So and just one other thing. Right. And just one other thing. I mean, you have people, of course, they're looking for their close relatives but you also have folks that have a lot of fourth to sixth cousins and distant cousins. So what do you tell these people when they say, Oh, I just have oh, three hundred fourth cousins? I don't know if I'll ever figure out my three hundred fourth cousins. What do you tell <laughs> them? <laughs>
2: Well, despite what some people say, it is entirely possible to determine how you are related to a fourth cousin or someone who is listed as a fifth cousin or a sixth cousin. You just have to go through the steps of uh, opening up the lines of communication and comparing the information that you already have on your family to the information that they have and find common ground and continue with the paper trail research.
1: All right. Well, Shannon, I want to just thank you so much for joining us tonight, and I want to thank the chatters for hanging in there tonight as we went through a few of our technical issues. (laughs) And, Everyone else, I just want you to please remember your ancestors' left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through your oral history, family records, research at the National Archives and beyond, and now we have our new tool, genealogy, genetic genealogy, DNA. Now, you can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and Beyond and AfroGenius Facebook pages. And also, remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday. Thank you so much for joining research at the National Archives and Beyond blog talk radio. This show is sponsored by your host Bernice Baby's Genealogy Research and Educational Services LLC and my website is www.geniebroots.com. I look forward to everyone joining me next Thursday. This is your host Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, everyone. Good night, Shannon. Thank you. Good night.